The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. If you could see what I once was If you could go with me Back to where I started from Then I know you would see A miracle of love chapter 22, verse 24, 26. There was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. What I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't spare. It doesn't, uh, what am I going to say, whitewash the flaws that we have. In fact, the Bible is full of people that it does not spare in telling the flaws that they had going right down the road. And, you know, that's why we should we should be transparent also. And, and not that we go around bragging about how bad we are, but the fact is that we ought not to portray ourselves something we're not. And sometimes what happens is we got our, we got our car, or we got a righteous mask we wear around, and we never come. The Bible says confess your faults one to another. The word false is the base word for sins. That doesn't mean I go around and tell all my intimate little... But I mean, the point being, you don't want to make yourself to be something you're not. And God knows who you are. And if, if you say, well, I don't have any sin, that's it right there. All you got to do is tell us that, and we'll all condemn you. We won't have any problem. You'll find out after that conversation, you've got all kinds of sin. But you got sin you don't know you have because we can see it, you can. Because I hate to say this, the Bible says in numbers of places, where every man's right in his own eyes, we can't see our flaws. We need other people to come to us and say that you got this problem. I can guarantee your hair stands out in the back of your neck when that happens. Because nobody likes to be told they got problems. Nobody likes somebody that is already flawed themselves to come up to you and tell you you're flawed. Right off the bat, your pride comes up and say, well, I'm better than you are. How dare you tell me that? But the point, that's not the point of it. That somebody maybe even is worse than you telling you about it. The point is God's using that person to help you. To see your flaws, because if you don't see your flaws, you can never get better, amen? And don't you want to get better? Don't you want to be more like Jesus? He says here, these, these old disciples, God bless their soul. Uh, it kind of reminds me of a deacon's meeting a lot of times. But anyway, uh, but they, they were, he says, they, they said, well, who's going to be the greatest? He said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise lordship... Uh, exercise authority upon them, are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that does serve. 
And may God give us wisdom tonight. Father, we pray that as I speak about leadership, that you'd help us understand what it means to have spiritual leadership versus carnal, worldly leadership. Give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of the message is, Everything Rises and Falls on Leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. There's really nothing wrong with desiring to be great. In the right context, I would be worried about somebody who didn't want to be better. Does that make sense to you? In other words, if you're going to play basketball, be the best basketball player you can be. Be all that you can't be. I mean, if, you, if you're going to do something, man, give it your best shot. It's not so much that you're better than the people around you. It's, that's not the goal. It's, the, it's that you be the best you can be. Man, I about joined the military two or three times because I disliked their slogans. Them Marines got the best, they got the best slogans of anybody, man. The, you know, the few, the proud, the chosen. I mean, man, I'm like, I want to be one of them. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, he said among his disciples, and he stated, he says, if any man desire to be first. In Mark chapter 10, verse 44, he said, whosoever will, whosoever you will be the chiefest. He was not rebuking them per se for having a desire to excel, a desire to do better. He was rebuking them about the pride that often accompanies it, that you're better than other people when you excel. I really, really am, I'm going to say I have a little bit of a overreaction when I see bumper stickers that say, my child is an A honor roll at such and such school. I just, that just really, I just want to rear end them. <laughs> I, want, I, I never did it, but I threatened to do it. My wife really has called me off of this over and over again. But I wanted to get a bumper sticker that said, my child flunked out at the elementary school, but he whipped your child every day. <laughs> I know it's not right. I know a preacher can't do that. He shouldn't do that. shouldn't think that way. But I just think that the smartest people aren't always the best people. The A student at Bob Jones University over a long period of time when they studied the grades and the student, they failed more often than the C students. Are you listening to me? Oh, in academic and academia, academia, whatever they call it, we try to exalt the A students and B students and say, ooh, you know, the sun rises and falls on you, kid. But the truth is, in, in, in reality, the C students run the whole world and pay the taxes. I love it when old George Bush got up there, I think Harvard or Yale gave a speech somewhere, and President of the United States, and he says, you know what happens to a, C student, they, and you know, of course, all of them, they become president of the United States. I love that. Oh, I wish I could have heard him say that. I was one of them poor, unfortunate A and B students. I was not a C student. I had ability to have recall information and to remember, and, and also was willing to work. And, and that, that helped me to do almost straight A in my grad work. I had all A's and one B plus, I think, in the whole thing. And in my Bob Jones, I was 3.5 or 6 or something like that. But I never thought that made me better than anybody. I never thought it made me somehow more elite. 
I was humbled that God allowed me to have a mind that I could even remember anything and recall it. And I'm losing that as I get old. You know, you start going, blah, 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 and you end going, blah, 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 blah. You start with diapers, you end with diapers. I'm speaking firsthand information on that. She, I saw my mom humbled, dad humbled. In 1 Timothy 3, 1, it says, If a man desired office of a bishop, that's a pastor, he desired a good work. There's nothing wrong with desiring to do something big for God, something great for God. I'd be ashamed of myself if I didn't want to use the opportunity that God's given me in this life to do something something unusual for God. See, God somehow, in His mercy, worked through me to see some other people go to heaven. Woo! Sometimes when a person gets saved, learned about the wonderful promises and opportunities that Christianity offers, they may make a decision and say, I don't want to be an average Christian. I don't want to be the typical Christian. I don't want to be the common Christian. I don't want to be the normal Christian. I want to be a great Christian for Jesus. I don't think there's a thing wrong with that. But we're not to be the, not to do it like the world does it. There's some differences. The world says the same. The world wants to excel in every field they go in. They want to be the greatest basketball star, the greatest baseball player, the greatest boxer, the greatest runner, greatest swimmer, greatest, the greatest, there's even the greatest typist. I forgot her name now. B, Buzzy B, or the, what's her name? You know the woman? That's it, man. Mavis Beacon, how do you know that? It's great. She can type like a hundred and some odd words a minute, no mistakes kind of thing. Man, they just like, they got a course on that thing. They even, the, even got the greatest typist. You got the greatest businessman, the greatest president, all the way. But why not the greatest Christian? Well, we've already, they've ever been an argument about the greatest Christian, you know. Who would you call the greatest Christian that you've ever known or ever or known about? I would say Apostle Paul has to be right up to the top of that whole thing. Part of it because of the way he endured such suffering. However, what about John? Hmm. Yeah, well, God does that. Be great by the grace of God, but not like the heathens great. I think that's the warning Jesus is bringing. A major besetting sin of Israel was that they consistently wanted to be like the heathen. And we have a tendency within us to copy what's around us. To copy the world and the way they do it. Psalm 106.35 says, but they were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. That was a downfall of Israel, just like complaining in, in their homes was a downfall. Ezekiel 11, uh, 12 says, You shall know that I am the Lord, and you shall not, uh, that, for ye have not walked in my statutes, neither ex, ex, executed my judgments, but have done after the manner of the heathen that are round about you. Over and over. Jeremiah 10.2 says, learn not the way of the heathen. You want to know why I'm against the world's music in church? It's the way of the heathen. It don't take no brain child to know that you don't bring what's popular in the world into the church. Our music should be for those who are born from heaven and born from above. Those folks out there... Well, I tell you, if you ever have trouble with your neighbor playing their music, rock and roll too loud, I have a solution. You go get you some big bad boy speakers with about a 500 amp amplifier, 
and you start playing old-fashioned gospel hymns, they will come over and negotiate. Because I can tell you this, your music messes them up more than their music messes you up. We're not to pray like the heathen pray, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When when you pray, don't pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do. We're not to pray like that. That's why I don't pay attention to National Day of Prayer is mine. Every day is a day of prayer, brother, for a born-again believer. Get in your closet, shut the door. What you ask of your father in secret, he's going to reward you openly with. That's what God, that's what Jesus said. We pray. I'm not over, I'm not even real big on prayer meeting type things. I think if every born-again Christian goes home, gets in the closet, and shuts the door, and does it like Jesus said, you'll move mountains for God. Or I should say, God will move mountains for you. Sometimes you get in prayer meetings, it's who can pray the best. Who can pray the most eloquent. And oftentimes, who can pray the longest. I'm telling you what, I have heard some prayers go on and on and on and on. By the time they were done, I was so in the flesh, I couldn't know what was up. I know, I know you laughed, and that means that's some of the stuff you've suffered too. Matthew 23, 5 said, but all their works they do to be seen of man. Don't, don't give like the heathen give to be seen of men. Don't pray like the heathen pray to, uh, to follow. The, they think vain repetition and long prayers, much speaking, as he puts it, somehow gets merit with God. Some of the greatest prayers in the world, real short, real short, but have, have the heart in it. We're supposed to have a different kind of interpersonal conduct than the heathen have. We're to love our enemies. Woo! Hello. I like the words Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 46. He says, if you love them which love you, what reward have you? None. If you love them that love you, what reward have you? None. Uh, do not even the publicans do the same. Now, when he said publicans, he, he, he brought out the most hated, most dishonest, robbing, thieving individual he could bring into their mind. He says in verse 47 of chapter 5 of Matthew, if you salute your brother and brethren only... What do you even more than others? Do not even the publicans do the same? Do so? Come on. We're not to do like the world. We're to be different, aren't we? Our leadership should be different. Our goals should be different. We're not to hold grudges like the world does. We're not to have a blacklist. I don't have a blacklist. Ladies, do not have a list on your husband. That's good preaching. If I got you ladies in an honest moment and I said, what bad things your husband ever done for you? I would hope you'd say he's done a lot, but I'd never tell you. And right now I can't remember because I'm so in love with him. I can't remember one bad thing he's done for me. I think if you'd go to my wife and ask her, what bad thing is, what bad thing is, has Bill ever done to me? She'd be like, oh, he's just the greatest husband. She in a nursery tonight? No, she's not. I'm not going to have her come up here and do that because I. <laughs> but Kathy and I, we don't keep lists on each other. Take the lists to the altar. Give them to God. We're not to be like that. We're not to lead like the heathen. But gee, 
shall not be so, Jesus said in Luke 22, our text. Verse 26, you are not to be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be young as the younger, and he that is chief be as they that do serve. Jesus said to serve is the ultimate, it's the ultimate goal as a Christian. Paul said, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. Woo! Everything does rise and fall on leadership, but the right kind of leadership, the servant leader, is the kind of leadership God wants us to be. Um, man, we've heard, we've seen people like Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, or read about him, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, David Livingston, C.H. Spurgeon, Bob Jones Sr., Gypsy Smith, Sam Jones, John Wesley, John Wycliffe, and, the, and, the, and it goes on and on and on. The Bible is full of leadership. You can't miss leadership in the Bible. Um, you can't go anywhere in the Bible without seeing the importance of leadership. Starting out with Adam. By the way, he had a little trouble in his leadership, didn't he? His wife was out shopping on Sunday. My wife said today, was it Sunday? I don't know what day it was. I just think she was shopping. He didn't know where she was. He didn't know what was going on somehow or another. But Adam, he had one assignment. Take care of this one woman. When you say I do, that's what you just did. You took the same assignment Adam took. You only got one woman. Leader. Take care of her. Watch, watch over her. Help her. He was given authority over creation. He named all the animals. He was supposed to keep or till the garden. He was supposed to guide his wife. Noah was a leader. Job was a leader. Abraham was picked by God because the Bible says, For I know him that he will command, command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. He was picked because of his leadership. Abraham was willing to obey God. Joseph was a leader, no doubt. Savior of nations. Twelve tribes of Israel, those people were leaders. Moses was a leader. In fact, there's nobody like Moses except Jesus later on. Joshua and Samuel and Saul and David and Solomon and Elijah and Elisha and Hezekiah and Josiah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel and the twelve disciples in the New Testament, Paul, Barnabas, Apollos, all those folks were leaders. Everything rises and falls on leadership. All leaders who have allowed themselves to be used of God, all these I mentioned from Genesis to the book of Revelation, God has chosen men, guided men, called men in leadership. The leadership of the local church, the pastor, bishop, shepherd, is to be the husband of one wife. That's why we are not ashamed to put the sign out there, male leadership. I know when somebody left their weapon in one of our bathrooms, by the way, I had a suggestion today that we put holsters <laughs> in every stall. That way that you people that are carrying just whip your gun out and put it in a holster there. But I got a kick out of when the guy came to interview me. I knew we, I knew what was going to happen. I, I know how those those news people think. You know, they're looking for a story. They're desperate for a story. Their job relies on having a story. 
So when a guy called me and says, I want to come over and do a little filming, I called CLA and said, what do you think I ought to do? And he says, well, if you feel led of the Lord, do it, do it. But normally it don't end up very well. I feel led to do it, give the guy a story. But uh, I, I just knew, I, I told him, I said, I bet they go out there and film that sign, male leadership. And that's going to go out throughout the whole county. Do you know what we'd have had to pay to do something like that? That was probably a $100,000 gift. I'm not going to thank the person that left the weapon, however. It just ended. God had mercy on that whole deal. But Male leadership, don't you be ashamed. You go to a church with male leadership. We, every church that's right with God ought to have a sign, male leadership, because that's the only kind of leadership, both from Adam all the way to the last part of the Bible. It's all been male. This is a man's world. And all the men said, get up. There aren't many places that men can even rejoice anymore without feeling about half ashamed because they try to put you down or sue you or something. But brother, this is a man's world. You can say what you want. You can do what you want. But God made Adam in leadership and it's going to end with a man in leadership. It doesn't make men better. It just makes, it's God's way. Amen. I always tell women, if you can be a husband of one wife, of course now, that's backfiring a little bit. There's no other leadership, but historically, biblically, or specifically. Jesus is saying in our text, is there's not to be a no leadership environment. God forbid, it's been said that bad leadership's better than no leadership. I, I mean, nobody wants bad leadership. Bad leadership can be horrible. We got it. But bad leadership is really better than having chaos. No leadership whatsoever. I remember when... Reagan got shot, and they, they were debating who was, who was the leader for a little while. That wasn't a good moment in history. When you don't have a leader, and this guy says, no, I'm the leader. No, no, I'm the leader. No, I'm the leader. Let's go back and read the Constitution again. I'm like, oh, great. We're not to lord it over each other. Leaders should not lord it over anybody. Be a servant of all. I'm your servant. I'm laying my life down here to serve you. Yes, I lead. Yes, I have to make decisions. But I'm doing it in a servant spirit. A servant has no rights of his own. A servant has, been, has, has given his right to be served up. You'll notice that in everything that we eat, I eat last. We had a sports banquet the other day. I was the last person to eat. In fact, while they were giving them trophies out, I was taking these for, for burrito chips and getting whoever made those little, those little meatballs. I was sitting there getting a burrito chip and a meatball and taking a little food. Because I figure, really, I don't, try, I don't just theoretically pr believe this. I practice this. I'll be last in a line. Jesus said, when you come into a place, don't take the chief seat. He says, go to the least seat, doesn't he? Go to the least place. And then they see you in the least place and say, oh, no, no, don't go there. You come up here. And he said, you won't get embarrassed in front of everybody if you're sitting in the chief saying, oh, that's, that's saved for somebody important, not you. 
and they ask you to go down, the Bible says you're going to be you're going to go down like this because you'll be embarrassed. He says, "Common sense, man." That's right. That's what it is. I'm serious about this. We're not. To, we as leaders should be the servant of all. We should be the servant of you folks. Servant is one has one desire, and that's to help others. That's all you want to do: help others. A servant can't be offended easily. Man, this is going to be, this is probably going to come back on me hard. I'm unoffendable. That was that Pastor McKinney, what he said one day. And he got offended so many times that next week, you can't even believe it. I think I offended him two or three times. I remember one day in the heat of preaching, he said, I'm unoffendable. I'm sitting back there going, oh, preacher, don't do that. Unoffendable. On the way home, my wife will offend me. Half of you Yankees will pull in front of me. The animals will run out. Everything will happen. But I don't want to be offended. I don't want to be, I will say this, be spiritual. You're not easily offendable. The Bible says, uh, the Bible says a lot, but it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 4, easy to be entreated. You should not be you should not, you should be, I love Bob Jones Sr., what he said. He says, a, a, a spiritual man is a reasonable man. What's that mean? Easy to be entreated. You can be entreated. You can be approached. You don't hold grudges. A servant does not need recognition. It makes sense to you? You don't need all kinds of accolades. Servant. I, I praise God for people who are serving Jesus and I want to recognize you. I want to remember you. But it's just almost impossible to recognize everybody that's doing everything. You just wouldn't have time. But we want to. But if you don't get recognized, you know Jesus knows what you're doing. By the grace of God, it's going to be okay. Well, that's good. It's good stuff. A servant does not need to be predominant. Just a place to serve. I want a place to serve, to serve Jesus. God has placed leadership in the church, but leadership does... That does not feel more important than those they lead. I'm not better than you, bigger than you, badder than you. I'm more important than you. Jesus died on the cross for every one of us by the grace of God. A servant needs to be self-sacrificing. Give your life. A hireling won't give his life for the sheep. No, he'll run when the wolf comes. But a, a leader that's called will lay his life down for the sheep. I've seen preacher after preacher do that in churches. Too many men rule by fear and rule by force and rule by intimidation. And I'm going to say this about marriages. Uh, that also is true in them. You will, not be, you will not be the leader that God wants you to be in your marriage if you rule just because you're the biggest and the baddest and the strongest. I've been guilty of this, no doubt. And I'm sure probably every man in this room at some time just used the sheer force of intimidation to get his own way. But your, your woman will not prosper in this area if you do not have a spiritual kind of, a, of leadership. My first, my, my woman is God's first assignment in my leadership of life. She's my first assignment. She's my first disciple. He says, here's a woman, disciple her. 
If your woman doesn't know the Bible, it's your fault. Oh, now let's just get right down to the rubber. It's a road. If your woman is your first disciple and you're the leader and you don't disciple her, and I know that she could say, I don't want to, and she could fight you and everything else, but you as a leader should be creative in ways to cause her to want to do that. You also should be begging God for her every day. That's big. She's your first opportunity as a husband, as a, because the leader's a, a husband's a leader, by God, not, not by ability, by God, because leadership is oftentimes not based on ability, it's based on God's choice. And you can't figure that out. And your, your woman should, is your first opportunity to do good. The Bible says do good unto all men, especially them of the household of faith. How much more should we do good to our woman, women? Our we husbands? Should we do good to our women? Now, I'm not talking about spoil them. When you spoil your kid, are you doing good for him? When you teach your children to work, are you doing good for them? That's why I told my wife, if I don't take the garbage out, you take it out. That's why I leave a list for my why what the things to do when I leave. That's not being mean. That's not being. That's just helping her because I'm I'm we're working one with each other. I lead her. I say I want you to do this. She does it. I want you to do that. She does it. She's more than happy to obey me. She's my first best disciple. She's my first opportunity to do good to. And my first opportunity to be a Christian leader. That's why. Pastor Boucher had to step down. That's why. Because you can't get in front of a group of people and say, I'm a leader, if you can't lead your own wife. I told my wife years ago, if you mess up, I'm out. I'm back to laying floor covering. I'm back to painting. I'm back to doing whatever I can do, right, to make a living. Because if somehow or another in my family I cannot lead my wife, and then let's go out to the children. If I cannot lead my children, and the Bible is clear about this in Timothy and Titus, if I cannot manage my household well, it uses the word well, not just average, but actually well, if I can't do that, I have no business in managing or leading in the house of God. Just common sense, amen? Now that doesn't mean that in, in Brother Boucher's life that cannot be recovered. That cannot be healed. And we're, we're doing everything we know to do to try to heal John Boucher and his wife and to try to cause them to eventually become to the place where in a year or two or so down the road, they are, that, thing is, that thing is fixed, that thing is cured, that thing is, is solved. And indeed, he's back into the leadership capability that I believe God has placed him. I work for my wife. I'm in charge. Yes, I am. I'm the head of my house. Yes, I am. But you know what? As a Christian head, I serve her. I work for her. I fix stuff for her. I protect her. I comfort her. I instruct her, and I laugh with her. And when I'm in the flesh, I yell at her. But as a spiritual leader, I don't do that. No. But I'm not, I don't want to be like the heathen, Amen. Why do you think there's so many divorces among the heathen there? And I hate to say even among Christians, because they violate the principles of leadership. 
They violate the principles of servanthood. That as a, as a leader, I lead, but I serve as I lead. I like what John Wesley said. By the way, John Wesley lived from 1703 to 1791. Here's what he said. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. I like that. I like that. Christians who want to be the greatest simply are those that are looking for the most opportunities to do good. But do it like Jesus said. Be a leader. Men, grab your leadership of your home. Read the Bible together. Leader in that way. Server, helper. That doesn't mean she lives a basking life of leisure. If you let your if you don't have if you don't have your wife working, you don't love her. Because the Bible warns about idleness a whole lot more than being overworked. Amen. Tell me where the Bible talks about woman being overworked. Not one. Because you've got an overworked woman, you've got a pretty content woman. I remember when I was when we first married and had Troy, and you know, Kathy, she'd work all day long. She'd come back. She'd have Troy. She'd fix supper for us, and she never quit moving. I mean, from she was a, she was constant motion from the time you know six thirty in the morning. She got it rolled out of that bed, and she got it going, and she got everything ready, and then got Troy and went to work, and then came back home and and worked till like ten, and did tutored and all because did homework for him and all this other stuff. You know, at ten o'clock she'd fall back into bed and do it all over again. Those are some of the happiest days of our life. But I'll tell you what, idleness will kill you outright. Yeah, idleness will kill you. Don't do that. That's not it. Christians want to be great. We want to be busy. I tell my wife all the time, some of my wife gets tired. You know, she's getting older. She's getting tired. I tell her, honey, let's die busy. Let's die busy. I want to die doing things for God. I love... I like the way old Jack Hiles died. He talked about he could have retired, been in Bermuda Shores playing shuffleboard a long time ago. There wasn't anybody in the United States of America pastoring a church his size in their 60s, and yet he pastored all the way to 74 years old and died of basically a heart attack. Oh, I like that. You know what? Heaven's called our rest. Heaven's our rest, Amen. This side's not supposed to. Now, you may rest some, and you get older, you can't do what you used to do, and I understand all that. But, brother, you ought to stay busy for God. There's no retirement on God. You can retire off a particular job, and there'll be a time I can't do what I'm doing now. But, brother, as soon as I can't do what I'm doing now, I'm going to want to do the bus ministry. I'm going to want to go be part of the door. I'm going to have another group, another focus. Lord God, by the grace of God, we're not going to quit. No. Father, help us tonight. To understand what it is to be a Christian leader. Help us understand that everything rises and falls on leadership. We must have leaders. We need leaders. And Lord God, help each one of us men in this room to be the kind of leader we're supposed to be in our home. I think all kinds of troubles start right at the foundation of the home. Even going to the downfall of a whole society is when the families disintegrate. And husbands and wives don't have the proper relationship with each other. Father, may we understand Jesus' commands in these areas and obey Him.
There could be one here tonight without Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. Oh, I implore you, encourage you to come and let us talk to you. Let us show you what it means to be saved. To know what it is to have your sins forgiven. I'd love to talk to you about that. There may be some marriages in this church. You're right on the verge of breaking. Nobody knows it. Oh, no. You've kept the wrap on it pretty good. It's pretty secret. But you're ready to blow. The whole thing's ready to go. Husband, the first place of recovery is, is personally getting right with God. Get where God wants you to be. Lay everything down to Him. Then go home and tell your wife. Get right with her. And both of you, hand in hand, by the grace of God, begin to serve God together again. Renew your, renew your vows to the Lord Jesus. Father, help. Heal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm just a I'm nothing but a sin.